Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very, very special guest. I have Leo Stone, who is a mom of three, a speaker, an educator, and an author, as well as a podcaster. Um, Leo, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Yes, thank you for coming on. So you're an educator, you're a speaker. So tell my listeners also a little bit just more about you of of what you speak about, what your book that you've written, and then we'll dive into our full conversation. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Well, I've been working with families for close to 20 years now. I started working in birth many, many years ago. I was a childbirth educator for a long time and I was a doula and then started working really mainly in the postnatal space, particularly for people that had had trauma. Uh, I then moved into working um, as a parenting educator, so running workshops and online courses and speaking and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Yeah, our podcast is the Aware Parenting Podcast where we talk all about, you know, ways to stay connected with our kids. Um, Three years ago I built a school which you know I know sounds really quite crazy people like what I often still think wow I can't believe we built a school uh it took many (laughs) years to do but our school really is based all on emotional awareness so the whole foundation of the school is on helping children to feel seen and heard we're big on choice and autonomy we have non-punitive discipline and we really focus on how children all learn best you know we do a lot of play based learning in our school and yeah it's a pretty amazing place so uh created that school and um and yeah recently we just released our book raising resilient and compassionate children which is really all about how do we help our children thrive in the world so a lot of it is about looking at you know just tools and ways to help our kids connect with themselves to express their feelings in healthy ways to be compassionate humans and citizens of this earth and you know another part of it is really looking at our stuff as a parent so a lot of my work is around what I call imprints and the way we were raised and how that impacts how we parent because no matter whether we like it or not the way that we were raised does have an impact on how we turn up for our kids and so a lot of my work is looking at what happened to us as a kid, the imprints and stories we got, are some of those working for you? Are some of them not? How we can shift and change it, our relationships to many things like anger and tears and trust and care and boundaries and all that kind of stuff. And as we look at that and can unpack a bit of our own story, then it allows us to turn up in the way that we want for our kiddos. So that's what I do. And I have three kids, but um, two of them are adults now. So they're doing their own beautiful thing in the world. I've just got one 15-year-old at home with us. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely, it's a beautiful, busy life. I love it. And tell me, so are you familiar with micro schools in the United States? Have you heard of that? Uh, No, I haven't. We have like our public school system, we have private school, and then we have micro schools that basically it's like a homeschool, um, but not really. It's it's, it's basically, um, so one in particular is called the Kind Academy. That's the first one that comes to me, but they do play-based learning. It's smaller classrooms, Mm. a lot of nature, very similar to what you're describing. Mm. The reason why I mentioned homeschool is because since COVID, homeschooling just erupted, um, but a lot of mothers have now 
looked for the micro schools. We've possibly yeah. talked about that. Um, but I love that. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I know we can probably hear, be here forever talking about all the different aspects of what you do. But the reason why I brought you on was because I saw your TEDx talk, which was, I believe, how to um, raise emotionally intelligent children. Mm-hmm. I had searched that because I am still new to motherhood. My son mm-hmm. is just five years old. Mm-hmm. But um, because of the world that we're in, I think it's mm-hmm. even more pertinent now than ever that we need to be connecting with our children, raising emotionally intelligent children. Um, so I, I searched and you came up and mm-hmm. I was blown away, love the conversation. Before mm-hmm. we dive into that though, let's do my icebreaker round because I love mm-hmm. these three questions. I think they're very important because um, I say it takes a village to uplift a mother and part of that is resources. So if, mm-hmm. is there a book, is there a podcast? What would you recommend mm-hmm. uh, to a mom listening to this of some books that have helped you along your journey? Mm. Okay, well, I, I couldn't not pitch my own book. So if you, if yes, you want some support, you can check out my book. Um, look, I think um, I've been so beautifully influenced by many amazing people who've worked before me. You know, the work of Dr. Aletha Salter. So she wrote The Aware Baby and Cooperative mm. and Connected and Tears and Tantrum. Like those books were very pivotal for me in my motherhood journey, just helping me to understand feelings and emotions and helping our, our kids heal from stress and trauma. So I found her work really, really beautiful. I found um, the book, one of the kind of game changer books for me as a woman was the book Vagina by Naomi Wolf, which was mm-hmm. and is, and I highly recommend every woman read that book, which is really, again, about just who we are as women and and our connection to ourselves, which also, you know, impacts our mothering and those kind of things. So that's one of, has been a very, very influential book for me. Um, I love the work of Dr. Gabo Mate and his books as well. Hold on to I heard him on your podcast. Yeah, yes. it was really amazing to speak to him. So. I do love his work out there in the world. So I think the, the main influences for me have been understanding trauma and understanding our own stories. You know, that's always really been a point of, of deep curiosity for me as a mother because, you know, my, my thoughts have always been, well, how do I raise my kids to be really amazing, excellent humans, right? And how do yes. I not stuff them up? And And so I think through all of those inquiries, you know, finding you know, books like that and just being really curious about my own story and healing that has helped, has helped to be able to raise them to be who they need to be. And actually you saying that made me think, you know, what's that quote? You can't move forward if you don't know where you're from. So I feel like Mm -hmm. how can we help our children Mm -hmm. if we don't know right? Our triggers, where our triggers affect. That's why I wanted to have this conversation because I, I'm fascinated with all of this stuff because I think that's the hardest part of motherhood, managing our everything in trying to raise an emotionally intelligent, happy, healthy, thriving human being. But we'll, we'll again, dive into that. How has motherhood transformed you? Oh, it's been the biggest spiritual practice of my life. I often say that if you want to, you know, become a spiritual person, you could go and meditate on a mountain for 10 years or you can try and raise your kids consciously. Right? <laughs> like, yes, yes. I'll tell you which one's harder, <laughs> um, the raising the kids, right? It's, you yes. know, for me it's um, – I think it's it's the most magnificent mirror motherhood into all our own shadows and our stories. It, it help it teaches us about deep servitude of caring yes. for another. It um, it really challenges who we think we are in the world. You know, I often think when we become mothers, we go through this like death of the ego, this loss of identity, and particularly oh, because yes. our culture does not really acknowledge and celebrate mothers. You know, we're we're still 
there's still a world that really just uh, validates earning good money, driving a great car, looking really great, like mothering, which is one of the most intense jobs that's out there, which is really about shaping the next generation, is not given the regard and the support that it absolutely deserves. So I feel having to work through all those different layers of rage and anger at our, our yes. system and our cultures and and to find, come back to a place of deep knowingness within myself, which my children have all given me and gifted me. Learning to be with my kids and their big feelings and trusting their journey has been the most beautiful gift in learning to trust myself and trust life. I love that. So again, I say it takes a village to raise a child, but as you just even said, and how I've now come as I'm newly into motherhood, it really does truthfully, more importantly, take a village to uplift a mother to then, as you said, raise our next generation. Who and what has been a part, been a pivotal part of your village? Yeah, well, it's interesting, actually. I was just recording a podcast with someone else this morning and they were asking me about those early years of motherhood. And, you know, I became a mum at 25, so quite young for, for these days. And um, I, I didn't have any friends that had children and I didn't really belong to any groups. And really, it was incredibly isolating doing it on my own. And I had one friend that I met who had a child the same age. And I think we clung to each other for dear life because we were the only ones going through it. And she became my absolute saving grace. You know, we would talk yeah. nearly every day on the phone. We'd listen to each other's feelings. We would, we would journey the depths together because you know we, it felt so overwhelming for both of us. So I think, without doubt, um, you know, my dear friend was the one person to guide me through it. And then I think as time went on, you know, even when my children started school or growing and all that kind of stuff, you know, it was I was looking for like-minded people. And I and I I must admit I didn't really. F- find it in the way that I wanted I think because I was a young mom I didn't feel like I really fitted in anywhere and I think that actually what that did is then led me to doing a lot of this work because I remember how hard it was and what I probably needed way back then I probably needed someone like me back then which is what I didn't have and so I think that has led me a lot to doing my work so yeah I think those early years of mothering were pretty lonely and were, were tricky because I don't think I asked for help. I don't think I prioritized my own self-care. I, you know, I was really just thinking I've, I've got to do this on my own, you know, with my other friend and that was about it. And as I look back now, you know, I, I really have deep compassion for the younger version of Lael who was doing the best job she knew at the time. And let me ask, because now we're going, we are going to jump into the main part of the conversation something hit me immediately. So you just said you have three kids to our adults, 15. What is the difference in Lael when you had your first son at 25? Mm. And then as you went on, I think, was it Dr. Siggy? Are you familiar with Dr. Ziggy uh, Siggy in the United States? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Constantly. heard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I believe she's the one who said that basically you become a different mother every time you have a child, mm. right? You're not the mm. same mother. Right. And I said, oh, my God, yes, that's so true. So tell me. So you were just talking early stages of motherhood. You're trying to figure Mm -hmm. out you're young. Mm -hmm. What was that evolution like from you as you were learning this and your journey? And it'll go into the point of the Mm -hmm. conversation is you be are when you became that first time mom and new into everything. What was that journey like when you said, "Okay, I want to create wellness and families through education, connection and communication. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn about aware parenting. Tell me what Mm -hmm. that was like and that stage from being a 25 year old and then having children Mm -hmm. later on. I think it's um, 
Well, it kind of the the desire and quest, I think, to do it in a different way came from because it didn't feel good because I didn't mm. enjoy being a mum because I was struggling. I was resentful and frustrated all the time. I wasn't getting my needs met. And really um, I think of the young mum who was just trying to keep all the balls in the air and and it was all about, I think, on some level appearances to look like I had it all together. It was really I was dying on the inside. And by the time I had my third baby, you know, my oldest was eight at that time and my middle daughter was five and we'd had a really challenging experience, my third baby and I, and we had a bit of a life or death birth situation. So when, mm. when you know, in that postnatal period, it was really just about survival and I knew enough about trauma to go, you know what, this is going to have an impact on her and me. And that's actually when I started to do some work around uh-huh. trauma and healing it. That's how I actually started to get into to things like aware parenting and understanding trauma because I was like, how do I help my baby heal from this experience and how do I help myself? And so that's, I think, what opened up a whole door for me around, oh, there's a whole other way to parent. There's a whole other way to be with feelings and emotions, not try and, you know, pretend they're not there or shut them down or, you know, try and keep my kids happy all the time. It was really about learning how to be and sit in in the fire, you know, and sit in the uncomfortable. And so I think that beautiful gift that my third baby gave me of, of diving into trauma and healing really set me on the path of, I guess, becoming the mother I wanted to be. And what she started to look like was taking care of herself and her needs. It was mm. doing a lot of work on her past and the wounds that I had sitting there from when I was younger and healing them. It was learning to be with my kids big feelings and emotions and and you know really attuned to them in a whole deeper level so I can just trust their journey and their experience and be present for that it really did shift a lot of where my life was it taught me to slow down a whole of a lot more to be really present with my kids and you know now as they're adults and amazing humans in the world I look back and go it was the best thing I ever did because it allowed I think both my husband and I to to slow down a bit and really be present and really ask who do who do we want our kids to be in the world like what do we want for them and our guiding value was we want them to be deeply attached to who the truth of who they are you know we yeah. want them to have such a strong sense of self so how do we do that well we yeah. we create and allow space for them to be who they need to be all parts of them the angry parts the sad parts the happy parts the joyous parts yes. We keep working on our own stuff so we don't project it onto them. You know, we we welcome, you know, their unique spirit and how they learn best and all those kind of things. So it was really about sitting in our uncomfortableness of, you know, how we think they should be in the world or what we think it should look like. And then they would come back and go, well, actually, this is who I am. And we'd be like, okay, so let's reassess again. So I feel like it was so rich in um in just helping me to get closer to the truth of who I am so my kids could be the truth of who they are. I love that. And actually, you had me thinking when you said being uncomfortable. And I think a lot of times for any mothers listening to this, I think that's another part that's very hard is sitting in that uncomfortable when we see our children being uncomfortable. I'm going to say a small example, and it's going to lead into my next question. So yesterday, my husband and I went to tennis. We have tennis almost every Tuesday. It's like clockwork. I do a lot of the work. I talk to a lot of mental health counselors, therapists. I read, I do the work. So I'm aware of to some extent. So I prepared him, picked him up from school. Hey, baby, we have tennis, just reminding you. And the tears just came. 
I hate when you have tennis. Why do you have to leave me? We don't even have time together because you're at work and I'm at school. So for a brief second, I'm driving and I said, okay, do I cancel tennis? Yeah. yeah. Or do I allow him as uncomfortable as this is for both of us and me seeing him screaming or do I let him have that moment and say, you know what, buddy? I completely understand. I know, baby, mommy, you know, I I love to spend time with you. And I am, you know, and I promise you as soon as tennis is over, we're going to hug and hang, you know, and all those Mm -hmm. things. But that uncomfortableness, oh, that's hard when we see Mm -hmm. our children in pain and going through that. So I know I handled it that way. But tell me a little bit of where that comes from of parents hearing that. And when we're hearing that, I handled that okay at that moment. I don't always do that, right? If I'm thinking about the email I have to send, if I'm thinking about the client I have to help, if I'm mm-hmm. thinking about this, I don't have time to be mm-hmm. mindful, peaceful, whatever the word is. Yeah. So speak on that a little bit of yeah. where moms can get that when we're like erratic or things are yeah. going on crazy around us. Yeah. Well, I think firstly, well done, Nicole. You did beautifully. Oh. <laughs> you just allowed him <laughs> to feel what he was feeling. And yeah. I think it's such a beautiful point to bring that up because so often we just want to fix what's going on for our kids. We, yes. It feels uncomfortable for us watching them be uncomfortable. And it's our discomfort that we need to learn to work with because we do our children no favours by fixing life for them. You know, we do, they have to experience tricky stuff. They have to experience adversity. The difference between a child that thrives through doing tricky stuff is if they have a loving, compassionate adult beside them who says, tell me more. And what mm-hmm. does that feel like? And gosh, that sounds hard and is there to listen to them let out all their feelings about it because as they let out all their feelings then usually they're like oh okay that feels better and now I can open myself up to what we do next or what the possibility exists so learning to listen without fixing is just one of the most challenging things that we can do you know and I I spent five years working with teenagers um, many years ago teaching sex education to teens in secondary schools and um, one of the questions I would ask all the teens always was if you could change anything about your parent or you wish there was something that they would know what would it be and I would say 85% of the kids said all the same thing which was I wish they would just listen but they wanted three things with the listening. The first was they wanted um, their parent to listen without judging. So they didn't want, you know, the parent saying, oh, but, you know, that person is bad to hang out with and, you know, and, yeah. you know, but that teacher's not very clever or whatever. They didn't want any of the judgment. The second thing they wanted, which is what you've just said, they wanted to be heard without being fixed. And that was one of the things that was the trickiest for the teens is that I want them to just listen to me. I don't want them to offer me a solution. If I want a solution, I'll ask for a solution. Mm-hmm. And that is so hard to do as a parent is to not fix. And I say to all parents all the time, when your child is sharing something with you, like be quiet and just nod and go, gee, that's Poker face. I always say, I call it poker face. Uh Okay. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. And then at the end, when they're finished talking, you could say, do you want some solutions or did you want me to just listen? And if they say, I want you to just listen, even if you have the best solution on earth, do not offer it because they really are just wanting to be heard in those moments. And then the third thing they wanted was the listening was that their parents would listen to them without freaking out, without going, oh, my God, this is so full on and just over the top because the message the teen got was, oh, well, you can't handle this. All right, I won't bring this to you next time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
what we're talking about here is, and I know, you know, a lot of people may still have little kids, right? That learning yes. to listen well and be in that space with them, it's a long game we're playing here because you are setting up this beautiful foundation for your children so that when they are teens, they know you are the safe place to come. They know right. that they can bring these feelings and and share these thoughts with you around everything and that you're going to be like, yep, I've got you. Tell me more. Let's talk about it. So I think that is just so, so pivotal, that piece of learning to listen well. I've totally forgotten what your question was about because I went off on no, a No, you answered it. No, you oh, completely okay. answered it. You did. Okay. And basically it was like giving tips of how, and I think you, even if we are in a crazy mood, just listen. Mm -hmm. We don't have to solve it. I think a lot of times yes. we do get heightened because we think we have to, oh, well, let's just do, or whatever. And it's like, to your point, but why even get, just listen and say, okay. But yeah. to your point, the other point is we don't like to see the uncomfortableness, but then it goes back to what is triggering in us. What work do we have to do on ourselves that him or her doing this affects that way? Before I get into my question about what is an aware parenting instructor, because I was fascinated by that and I've listened to your podcast, I did want to mention, I think a lot of times, I think what would help mothers as well is parent how you wish you would have been parented as well to, with your children. So one of the things I, I love my mom dearly, we talk every day, but one of the things she also doesn't do is listen and let me be uncomfortable. She wants to fix. And I've noticed that as a grown woman who will be 40 this year, mm -hmm. and I always get a team, right? Or if I have to tell her something and she goes, oh, well, that's going to be difficult. And I'm like, in my mind, but I, I didn't say that. I just said this, or there's already a negative notation or, oh, and I'm like, you know, I say all that because I'm like, it's the same patterns, right? Those same patterns, which then makes me say, you know what, this is why I try and do this with Jace, because I don't want 40 years later of his life, him getting tings of like, that doesn't really feel good. I just want you to listen or, or whatever that is. But that's me to fix with my mom, right? So that then I don't continue to push that over, which mm -hmm. goes into my question, the aware parenting instructor, explain mm -hmm. the difference. And first of all, what that is, and you hear mindful mindful parenting, you hear peaceful mm. parenting, you hear conscious mm. parenting, <laughs> all of these terminologies, which to my mm. opinion is all very similar. I think it's mm. just being present, but tell me what does it mean to be an aware parent? What is an aware parenting instructor? And what, mm. what made you get into that level mm. um, as opposed to other aspects yeah. of it? Yeah. Well, Aware Parenting was um, created by Dr. Aletha Salter. So she's a Swiss American psychologist. And so she wrote her first book, The Aware Baby, maybe 30 years ago or so now. Oh, wow. And she's written many books. I mean, I actually think she was probably really ahead of her time. You know, science has kind of caught up to what she was talking years. about. Yeah. 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 And really, I think, you know, her work was based on three kind of main components. You know, the first one is close attunement to our children and attachment. So it's things like, you know, um, being attuned to them and whether that's like wearing them on your body as a baby and, you know, breastfeeding and co-sleeping and all that kind of beautiful, close, gorgeous attachment stuff we do. The second element was non-punitive discipline, so not using punishments and rewards to get our kids to do things, which, you know, often when I say that to parents, they're like, okay, but what else do you do then if we don't do that? Um, so it's not using punishments and rewards. And the third thing, which I think is probably what makes it a little bit different to some of the other um, conscious parenting is it's the understanding that we – 
as humans, babies, children, um, can all heal from stress and trauma. And so crying in loving arms and being present when our kids cry and also using laughter and play to help shift feelings and emotions can help not only our children shift and move trauma, but also have a deeper connection with parent dynamic. So I think many of them are very similar in the sense of that it is very much about that compassionate presence that we have with children and accepting all of who they are. Um, you know, I, I worked as an aware parenting instructor for a long time. I don't so much anymore. Um, but really, it's just about helping parents understand these philosophies and also tools to be able to work with their kids, whether it's getting cooperation or navigating big feelings and emotions, or it's helping kids sleep, or it's issues with food, or whatever. We've all got stuff, right? Sure. And it's and it's support with those kind of things. Um, and, and really, I guess, from working with aware parenting for a long time you know my work shifted when I started to build my school and and a lot of my work now really is about looking at the adult not so much the child so it's really looking at well what do we look at as you mentioned before we have to look at our past to know where we're going to understand what happened for us when we were young how we were responded to with feelings and emotions you know what was our relationship to trust what is our relationship to um, many many different things and when we can understand that it helps us know more of our own story so that we can um, hopefully have less triggers when we are being with our kids. I, you had said, and I believe it was from your TEDx talk about uh, mental health, and I know mental health was a big, a big, um, a, a big, um, and I don't want to say passion for you, but something that you want to normalize discussing. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, um, and you had said one in eight Australians um, deal with anxiety, one in ten Australians deal with depression. Um, and it goes in how you're saying deeply rooted and how we express feelings of emotions. On the TEDx talk, How to Raise Emotionally Intelligent Children, explain why it's so important. And I think you've mentioned things, but how it then turns into adulthood, since now that's what you're you're in, why we have to be empathetic and compassionate with our own children and mindful of that approach and what that connection does bring. Um, to future selves um, and and how that helps to raise children who are more resilient than anything else, more emotionally intelligent, and then how that ties into the mental health aspect. Mm. Yeah, great question. So, you know, I think I'll start with this. Like when we are little, we learn really quickly, you know, the caregivers around us, whether it's safe to express ourselves or not. So if we're born to caregivers who don't tolerate anger or are uncomfortable with crying, we learn pretty quickly that that's not okay. Now, anger and crying and frustration and sadness, they're all part of being human. They're not negative emotions. They're just all part of being human. They're as valid as joy and happiness and passion and all those kind of things, right? So what often happens is as children, we learn pretty quickly, can these caregivers navigate my big feelings? And if they don't, then we need to find something to do with those big feelings. And so a lot of the time what happens is we learn to repress them. We learn to push them down. And children will do this and babies will even do this. Teens do it. Adults do it. We learn ways to cope with our feelings. And that can look like wanting to eat every time we're upset. It can wanting to be on screens all the time. It can be constantly moving like we can't sit still because if we do, the feelings come up. It can be anything for adults. It can be drinking too much wine, eating too much ice cream, online shopping, you know, all these things that we do to stop ourselves from feeling like we learn to numb our feelings. So when we're little children, if we grow up in an environment where 
it's stressful or even if it's not even stressful but it's just not tolerated to express your feelings we have to develop ways to protect ourselves so we learn different techniques this could be sucking uh, sucking a thumb it could be dependent on a blanket or a toy or a teddy or all those kind of things you know and what happens is we learn to numb those feelings now again that can be quite can become pretty dangerous in the teenage years as teenagers grow and a lot of their feelings come up if they learn it's not okay to express them then they're going to look for things to numb them and that can look like drugs and vaping and drinking and risky sexual behavior and all that kind of stuff right because they're like I don't want to feel so you know let's just do Mm. this so then we see the escalation you know move into mental health which is that when we aren't allowed to feel anything we have to work so hard to push it down we learn to numb right and when we learn to numb we we can be depressed because it's not okay to feel or perhaps it develops into anxiety which is I'm worried about what's going to happen particularly you know if we grow up in environments where we're taught to be good boys and good girls which means you know I will give you love when you behave in the way that I approve of and when you don't I will take you know, my love away from you. Now that sets up a story in a child that says I'm only lovable when I'm good. So then what happens is we, we grow up into adulthood and that story is still pretty, uh, pretty ripe in our beings and bodies. And what happens is when I'm going to try something new, well, I don't know if I can do that because people might not approve of me. It might not be okay. So then I might not be enough. And then we have things like anxiety or we're scared to take risks or we're scared to step out of our comfort zone or we won't leave things that aren't feeling good for us because at least I know it. And the known is often a lot safer than the unknown. And so, you know, this, I'm giving a really kind of top level view here, but there's so many different elements that speak to when it's not okay to feel the impact that it can have on us as we grow. You just, I literally just saw the connection. Like I, it's like, I've understood it. How many times we've seen, um, movies with drug addicts and you hear, oh, I just want to feel good. I just, I need to escape. I just need to feel good. Mm. So when you said that, just, I don't know, a, a, a minute or so ago where you said they just want to feel good because those whatever, maybe they're feeling that bad for the day, but whatever some of those negative emotions are that we've been taught to think are negative mm. and that we shouldn't have and we should repress, they need an outlet to express them. Some people yeah. do it in adrenaline. Now, now mm-hmm. I see really the connection, right? Some people have mm-hmm. adrenaline. Some people, mm-hmm. when they do the drugs and they're always searching for that next high because they want to always stay up. But life mm-hmm. is not about up. Life has the winding mm-hmm. roads, which I think is so important to mm-hmm. teach. Let me ask. So I, I talked to an anxiety support coach and she explained that anxiety can be something good depending on how we look at it, right? Anxiety is, is almost mm-hmm. like that element of, not instinctual, but, you know, our anxiety can help us if, if there's fear, if we're recognizing mm. certain things. So she believes in the neuroscience of it, of like looking deeper and understanding that some anxiety might be mm. there, but of course it's how we deal with mm. it and how we don't let it then multiply to bigger things. My son is five, already mm. experiencing some things with certain levels of anxiety on a mm. small scale, oh, you know, afraid of the dark. Um, mm. Anytime we talk about certain things, I mean, we literally have had conversations. He's like, mommy, I, I, I just can't, I can't, I can't be alone in my room right now. And I'm like, why? Mm. What if a bad guy comes in? And I'm like, geez, mm. we turn the alarm on. What if the alarm doesn't work and the police don't come? Like we've had this level, he's five. Um, and I know all the, you know, again, you have to ask the questions and I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. What if a bad guy comes in? Like, I'm like, what do I, you know? And he's like, well, then what do we do? And I said, well, we call 911. Well, what if the police don't get here in time? Mm. I said, well, then you know what? Mommy will fight back and we have to do, you know, I'm like, geez, like, what do we say? So my question to you is, 
for something like that, a five-year-old who does have that know-how and ask, how do I help him relish in that anxiety that I see there and not let it turn into something bigger as he gets older? Yeah. Look, you know, it's um, at five years of age, that's a pretty rational fear, right? Because, you know, at that age, we're starting to go, oh my God, I I, I could be in danger in life, you know, and, and all those things. So sometimes we have these normal rational fears that happen as kids grow and develop. And other times we have, as you say, anxieties. And, and I love how you explained that about anxiety. I always see anxiety as like, it's a part of you tapping on the window going, hello, hello, um, I'm just letting you know that something feels a bit off here. So I'm here. And what we often do is go, I don't want to hear you. Like, go away. Like, we turn our back on the anxiety because we're so like, true. no, it feels too scary. But actually if we turn towards it and go, ah, thank you for warning me. Thank you for warning me that something is going on. Okay, let me assess here. Is this actually a threat and a danger? No, it's not, right? Is it connecting to me to the past with something where I felt a similar thing? Yeah, maybe it is. And maybe I didn't get to process that or feel that in the way I needed to last time. So thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me know that something feels out of balance or something feels off in my being. And then I can ask the question, well, what do I need to do here to feel safe, right? That, sure. That's what it, it is, right? It's a beautiful messenger in the sense of coming back to your son, you know, he, you know, what's really powerful in a moment like that is information, which is like, yeah, let's break it down. Yes, I hear that you feel really unsafe. So let's go through the information to help us know how we feel safe. Yeah. And, you know, it might be also something like, I remember feeling really scared when I was a little girl as well right because that. it can feel really scary you know when that happens what would make you feel safe sweetheart what would help you and your body feel safe now what that might be is he's like well I want the door to be open or I want another light on or I want this or I want that or whatever that's going to look like for him and 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 again I think that the trick is is that whenever our kids have fear or hang have anxiety like we go into oh god this is not okay instead of like okay this is we're just developing we're learning new skills and new tools how to navigate when stuff feels big for us and having that beautiful conversation not just going into the, it's fine nothing's going to happen mate you know which I know you didn't do so I love that you really heard him is to give him that information to really say I hear your fears tell me what else what else feels scary and the more he gets to express how scared he feels maybe he has a cry and he lets that go maybe then we work towards well, what can help you feel safe as we do this you know then he knows there's this supportive adult around him who's holding that space to say hey fears are going to come up anxieties are going to come up it's part of being human and these are the ways that we can work through them you know and then when he's eight right you'll talk back and go remember when you were five <laughs> darling and you're really scared about being in your room yeah and now at eight he's really scared to join the basketball team because what if people are bigger and better than him yeah I get that fear buddy it's really sure. scary isn't it and it takes a lot of courage to be brave but you just got to be brave for a few minutes to give it a go and then see what happens you know and and yeah. every time our children do this they develop resilience they develop the ability to try things even if it's tricky and even if it doesn't go the way he wants then we're there to hold that space to hear how it feels and to your point, it goes back to the listening, the connect, the the being aware to empathy, to empathize and compat and to be compassionate. Because going to the original point, if he, if he, if I say no, it's fine. As he grows up to be an adult, in his mind, he's like, I couldn't feel that. I feel an anxiety, but my mom told me I'm fine, but I'm not. So I'm freaking confused, right? Then the confusion, like it's all in relation and breaking it down like this. That's why these conversations, I'm so happy. They're so they're so normalized so that when that next generation, because like I said, I'm more scared just because I think 
we're in a technology, there's so many more things that our kids are being exposed to now at this age, that it's even more so that I have to be present as much as I can for him. Yeah. Um, there was something else you said in it, it slipped my mind for a second, but no, I, I love it. I obviously you can tell I'm, I'm very passionate about breaking this down. I, I think you keep saying the tools, I think parents need all the tools not just moms you know give a mm. shout out to the dads i think also trying to hold space and understanding how we can just connect with our children and whatever that looks like now um what are some ways that you release reset and recharge to make sure that you can be the best that you can be for yourself and for everyone else that you support mm. Mm. Well, look, you know, I think over the years of being a parent and realizing I wanted to parent in a certain way and still work and all that kind of stuff, it became really clear to me that if I do not take care of my needs deeply, then nobody's going to get their needs met. So I always say whoever is that center nucleus of the family, which often is the mother, you know, we have to take care of her. Uh, For me personally, I'm all about quiet. Like what resets and recharges me is silence, which is weird because I live in, well, my husband loves music. And so do all three of my children. So at any given opportunity, there could be four <laughs> different music tracks on everyone's home. And I'm like, oh, turn it all off. <laughs> like, you know, I, I like the silence. That's a beautiful recharge for me. I, I think for me, I actually just need to be on my own, which helps me recharge. And, you know, when I had little kids and when that was really tricky to do, sometimes that was like just having a bath by myself for 20 minutes. Sometimes yeah. that was going for a walk on my own. You know, I really find deep value in just speaking and sharing what's big for me because I feel that when I'm heard in that then it helps me process and then I can open up to the possibility of whatever I need so some listening time is I find really deeply valuable but more than anything like nature and silence is is my medicine I think and I I now kind of live my life in a way where I make sure I have that every day and that I you know for many years I did the hustle and the juggle and they kept going in the business and the kids and I was just like I wasn't at turning up in the way that I wanted to and it really made me reassess how can I do this so I can be the best version of me and a lot of that came back to okay well what do we need to do to meet your needs in order to be able to be the parent I just don't think you can parent consciously unless you take care of yourself you just can't I agree. And you had said something just now in saying that where you were like, you like quiet. I, I run evening support groups for working moms and we usually have like a lead therapist come in to a different group and kind of the moms just love to kind of release, reset, recharge. And uh, one of the things that came up was overstimulation, how mm-hmm. overstimulated moms get. And that's another big term we hear. And all, and I, there were some new moms, new moms to be, and they're like, what the heck is that? And you know, I kind of brought the group back in, the therapist kind of brought it together being like, look, we don't want to scare you. But the reality is you may, everyone has, I think, different, you know, um, postnatal, postpartum periods, I said, but there is something because moms, like you said, are the nucleus, where if my son is saying mommy, 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 and then my husband wants to have a conversation, I'm like, I can't, like, he already knows. I'm like, babe, you, you have to give me a second, or I have to look at my son. I'm like, one of you, it's it's a, just getting too much. And I found, I find the quiet more. So I wonder what that is. Like, I, I'm interested to see as maybe time goes on, if it's dived into more of why the overstimulation is such a big thing for us. Maybe it has something to do with our phones too, right? We're overstimulated in so many ways. And then we have this little person. It's a lot. It's a lot, let alone the mental load that we carry, right? 
So often as women, and I don't want to gender this, but it usually is women, you know, we've got the lists in our heads of, gosh, I've got to put the swimming enrollment form in and then I've got to pay this and then I've got to do that and then I've got to pick up some potatoes and then I've got to, you know, and then we've also got to, what time is it? I've got to pick them up from kindergarten. And like we we are constantly with the lists and the holding and the juggling of what we're doing. Now that is loud and busy. And then as you say, when we pick up our phone and we're bombarded with so much information, that is a lot as well. Like we are living in a really fast world. It's very different to the world that our parents were in or let alone our grandparents, right? And I think this is where we have to learn how to have that beautiful discipline within ourselves to know how we work best, to be the best version of ourselves. Because, you know, I realized many years ago, my children need a really calm anchored mother, right? And, And I realized that my job was to be what I call spacious, which is that when they came home from school, I made sure I made myself available for a good hour, which is where they'd walk in and I'd be like, hey, how are you? Can I make you some food? Or I'd give you a hug and I would just be there and be spacious for whatever they needed. Now, sometimes they'd walk in and they'd be like, here's what happened today. And they'd just dump it all on the table, right? Other times they'd be withdrawn. I'm like, they need a bit of connection, a bit of play. You know, it really was about just be spacious to greet whatever comes to me so that I can then meet them where they're at, help shift them if they need so then they come back into balance and then we have a beautiful afternoon and evening. But I realised that I needed to make that spaciousness to be really present with them so that they could walk in and they could go, hey, here's where I'm at and I'm able to read that, I'm attuned to that, I can help them shift whatever that is if they need that support and then we all move on you know I I began to learn that is the way that we can work in harmony that way I don't have to yell that is the way that I'm not you know nagging them to do things and I'm able to be present and connected to them because the more presence I bring to them the more connection they feel the more likely they are to you know offload whatever they're carrying so they come back into their presence and centeredness and then there's more cooperation right it works better for everybody so it really for me was about okay spaciousness how do I be spacious and and that was about reshifting kind of my work right so I worked between these hours or I did this or I got some support here it was really about juggling things a bit to go you know what what is the priority here the priority for me is to be as spacious as I can for my kids when I'm there and that doesn't mean I have to play with them for four hours straight right it might just mean I'm there with them for an hour we do some play for 20 minutes or something and then I'll go off and make dinner and they're then pretty they've had their cup filled and they're pretty content to go on with what they want so it's about learning how we all get our needs met Oh, God, I love that. And to the point of learning what each of your individual ch- children need, right? Then we go into the love language, maybe to your point. Some maybe just want the hug. Some want the the words of encouragement. Some need the alone time to have the space. But to, it goes back of understanding and creating the space to where you can recognize this one needs this, this one needs this. I mean, goodness, you saying that gets me thinking. If you don't hold that space, then you have the teenage, teenager that when they are ready to talk and you're not available, and that happens more than once, resentment and then all of the things that we know that occurs in normal relationships when out their needs are not being met and they can't have that space so oh my gosh it's so so true I do I recognize that with my son early on when he would need me and I'm in the middle of something and I recognize if I just gave him 10-15 minutes of undivided attention he would leave me alone or if I was on a podcast and I kept seeing him come in if I just let him sit on my lap for like even 30 seconds to a minute say hi he wouldn't bother me the rest of the time yeah 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 it, it's so it's true like, and I, yeah. I think it's um 
it, it's look I, I just say this to all parents parenting is hard it's a juggle right it's we are not supported in the way that we should be as parents and we're often doing it on our own in our houses and it's really tricky you know we need the village exactly what you talk about to support each other to to lift each other up it's so vital and important and I think it is it's it's coming back to again what we what we value what we want for our children and then how can we find and nourish that within ourselves to then be able to bring that to them. I love it. So how can, as we wind up, um, wind down here, how can people connect with you and how Mm. people can work with you? Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. So um, you can, if you Google Lael Stone, which is L-A-E-L-S-T-O-N-E, there's actually no other Lael Stones in the world. So I'm the only one that turns up, which is cool. Actually, there used to be one. She was a brain surgeon, but she died many years ago, I think. So it's just me there. So you can find me. Um, so my website, laelstone.com.au, um, you know, I just have lots of different courses and offers on there that you can find. You can find my book on there as well if you're interested in buying that. Um, I run things called immersions, these eight-week immersions, which are for parents to take them through all about their imprints their relationship to you know those a lot of different themes that turn up in parenting as well as guiding them to parent with lots of these tools around listening to feelings and using play and all sorts of beautiful stuff so I usually run those three or four times a year and I have people from all over the world join that and then I have lots of other little webinars on my website that people can buy and watch you know that just talk about some of these main topics and yeah you can find me on Instagram and and Facebook at Lael Stone so all my info's there Love it. Um, What are your final thoughts maybe to a new mom or maybe not even a new mom, maybe a mom, you know what, what about to the mom that thinks it's too late? Right. Oh, that thinks never oh. too late. Never, 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 yes. never. I, so tell, so not only the mom. Yes. So to the yeah. mom listening that thinks, oh my God, I, how did I not know this? My kid's older. Mm-hmm. It's too late talk to that mama right now. Well, firstly, I just want to say I didn't come to any of this kind of conscious aware parenting until my son was eight and my middle daughter was nearly five and I had a baby, right? And and when I came to it, I remember thinking, oh man, have I just messed all this up? And then as I started to be spacious, as I started to listen to their feelings, as I started to do my own work, what was so incredible is everything that I think my older kids had held on to that needed to be healed just came to the surface. And so I absolutely 100% believe it is never too late for healing ever, right? Can I tell you a quick little story? Uh, you sure, know, yes, please. Um, so when my son was born, you know, we had a bit of a tricky birth experience and I just, it was my, you know, I was a new mom and I was in shock, I reckon for the first year of his life. I, you know, I had a pretty terrible birth experience. I couldn't understand what had happened to me and I was taking care of him, but I didn't feel connected to him. You know, my beautiful husband stepped in and was just so deeply connected to him. I feel so grateful for that, but I was just like, oh my God, like, what is this? This is so full on. And so then as I started to journey more into this work and had more children, you know, I, I felt this guilt that I didn't feel that connected to him when he was a baby, you know, and I felt differently towards my other children. And and I really had a lot of story there around um, how I didn't do it right until I actually started to move into compassion for myself of like, you did the best job you knew how at the time, right? And, and you were doing all that you could. And as I started to move into compassion, I actually just kind of put it out there. I am so willing to heal whatever needs to happen with my beautiful boy like I'm just going to put it out and I'm going to trust him and trust timing that when we need to heal we'll heal now one day I reckon he was nearly 10 years of age we were at my in-laws and it was a hot day and all the cousins are there and we're all swimming in the pool and everyone gets out of the pool except my son and I 
And my son swims over to me and he goes, mom, he goes, hold me like a baby. And I'm like, oh, okay, darling. So he's this like 10 year old boy. He's in my arms and he starts like pretending he's a baby. And so I really trust children when they play or what they do. There's something in it for them. So I start like going, oh, you're my beautiful baby and you are so precious and I love you so much and you are just the sweetest thing and I'm glad you're here. And I just start and he's like giggling and laughing, you know, pretending he's my baby. And then he says to me, mom, just hold my head and let me float. And so he he lays in front of me in the pool and I'm holding his head in my hands and he's laying there floating in complete silence for about 10 minutes. And I am standing there holding his head and I am just crying. I'm crying now. I am feeling oh in God. this moment, oh my God, this is the healing, right? In this beautiful moment here, when we are both open and ready, there is like this healing, this forgiveness, it is all okay. And that just happens for like 10 minutes. And then he just kind of gets up and he gives me a kiss. He goes, I'm going to go eat something. And then he just goes off, right? You're rocked. You're rocked. You're like, what the heck? (laughs) I'm in the pool going, did anybody see that? Like this was just like a a rebirth we just had. And, And it was so profound. And I've had many experiences like that with all my children over the time, right? Not things that I could orchestrate or make happen. It's been on their timing when they're ready, when I'm ready. And I've had so many experiences like that. And even with all the clients I've worked with who's voiced back many similar experiences, I'm like, it is never too late to heal. And we just have to be open to healing and we have to be deeply compassionate with ourselves. No blame, no shame, just kind and compassionate that we were doing the best we can and then hand it over our kids to bring it when they're ready. Oh, that was such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. And I think even to that point, whether he recognized it or not, that's what he felt he needed. But what that did for you, oh my God. Um, yeah, that that was because I think a lot of times moms put that guilt on ourselves of what mm-hmm. we didn't do, the constantness, right? We're not enough. We're not doing enough. We'll never be enough. Am I messing my kids up? So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. Leo, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Do you have any other final thoughts, anything that maybe you felt like you wanted to say more? You know, I, I don't know. I felt like we have we had a, an amazing mm. conversation. So I don't know what mm. else could have been said, but is there anything else you feel like you want to share or get off your chest? I, I just want to say to any mothers listening out here is to to really learn to trust your intuition and your gut. You know your child better than anyone. And take the pressure off. There is no perfect, right? We 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 are all kind of working to try and do the best we can, but the best often is about you just being connected to yourself, slowing down breathing, tuning into you and then tuning into your kids. That's all our beautiful kids want. They just want our presence and connection. And you've got that, right? You don't need to learn that. You don't have to, um, you know, do a course to do it or read certain books. Like just come back to the self, right? Because you are enough just the way you are. I love it. Thank you so much, um, Leal. I, again, appreciate you and um, continued blessings to you for love and light. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.